<clears throat> Father, we come before you thankful to be reconciled to you through your Son and to have this great blessing of gathering with other believers to worship you. I'm sure we take that for granted. I know that I do, Lord, and so help us to be mindful of, of how gracious you've been to us, just allowing us to be here this morning, to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, those others who have been redeemed, to lift up our voices in song to you, to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper, and now to gather for the preaching of your word. And I, I pray that as it goes forth, that it would accomplish that sanctifying and cleansing work that it does in each believer's life, and pray for any unbelievers that it would accomplish that work of conviction. I do thank you for this account, Lord. I thank you for David's example. We, we spent weeks in Luke talking about forgiveness. I found those verses particularly challenging as an area of my life that I struggle with, and to see David's response here to a man like Shimei is, is you know, tremendous to me, Lord, and so help us to learn from him. We, we recognize it's not so much him, but what you've done through him. Uh, there are Shimeis we face in our lives, and I pray that we would, we would, by your grace, be able to respond well. And so help us to learn from what you've recorded here about the man after your own heart, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is Biblical Advice on Forgiveness from David. Biblical Advice on Forgiveness from David. So Sunday mornings, we're working our way through Luke's gospel verse by verse, and we'd finished a section that I found to be particularly convicting about forgiveness. And if you sat under my preaching for any length of time, you know that I often like to look at the Old Testament for examples of New Testament truths or realities. And I really didn't want to conclude that section on forgiveness without having an accompanying example of forgiveness uh, from the Old Testament. And so this had been on my, my heart for a while, this account. I'd been taking notes on it probably for upwards of four or five weeks now. And we made it um, as our second week on the, on the passage because there's really two individuals in the account. There's Shimei, who fills the early verses, and we talked about him last week. And then there's David, who fills the other verses, and we'll be focusing on him this morning. So if you missed last week's sermon, that dealt with Shimei, why he hated David, uh, why he was so accusing, and what we can learn from that. And this morning, we're going to focus on David forgiving Shimei. David is famously known as what? What's his title? very unique. He is the man after God's own heart, one of the most unique and wonderful titles that anyone in Scripture could be given. And perhaps you've wondered why he was given this title because of some of the things that he did, right? In particular, what? Committing murder and adultery. Well, at least one of the reasons that he was given this title, man after God's own heart, was his forgiving heart, which makes him look like a man after God's own heart when we consider how forgiving God himself is. Probably the greatest example of David's forgiveness occurred with Saul, when you can forgive a man who spends years trying to murder you and takes away some of the best years of your life, drives you from your home, your, your family drives you from your wife, who happens to be his daughter, and can forgive a man like that, you know that you're pretty good at forgiving. But this is the account that was really weighing on me, and I wanted to look at it for two reasons. I believe we can relate to it better. Can it, by a show of hands, who has ever been chased by a king trying to murder them for years? right? But who has ever had someone, at least figuratively speaking, throw rocks at you? Who here has ever been cursed before? And so I believe that what David experienced here from Shimei is something that we can relate to much better. Second, slander is one of the more difficult sins to forgive, at least for me, because slander involves untrue accusations. So just in case any of you are unfamiliar with the differences between slander and gossip, they're not the same. Let me briefly explain them. Gossip is sharing negative information 
about others who have no business knowing that information, but at least that information is true. If people share information about people that is untrue, then that is slander. If you were in Sunday school a few weeks back, Pastor Nathan taught through 1 Corinthians 5, and verse 11 goes so far as to say not to even keep company with people who are revilers, or in some translations, it is translated as slanderers. So I want to briefly review. There were many low points in David's life. I'm convinced that this was one of the lowest because he, fall, he finds himself fleeing from his capital. He has lost the throne. He's departing with his men for his life. Uh, who had stolen the throne from him? I mean, it'd be one thing to lose the throne, but he happened to lose the throne from whom? His own son, Absalom, who's attempting to murder him, making it worse, the nation that David had faithfully loved and served. Uh, Of all the things you can say about David, you can't say he was a bad king. He was the greatest king. All other kings compared with him. He had been a great king to the southern area of Judah for seven and a half years, and then 33 years over over all 12 tribes. They turn on him. They join Absalom in this rebellion, and many of the leaders of the nation, the elders, turn against him. His close friend Ahithophel turns against him and joins Absalom. And right when you think things cannot get any worse for David... On his exodus from Jerusalem, Shimei finds him. Shimei starts throwing rocks at him, cursing him. Shimei never would have thought of this or thought of doing this at any other time in David's life when he was king, but because David is such, uh, in such a vulnerable position, Shimei is thrilled at this moment that he believes has been given to him. And so it's like a dream come true for such a bitter, resentful man to have this opportunity to curse David and, and throw rocks at him and his men. Look what he says in verse 8. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. How is, how is Shimei feeling about David being in this very low point, at this very low point or in this very vulnerable position? How is, how is Shimei feeling? Is he, is he mourning what David's going through is he grieved by David's suffering. He's what? He's ex- it's thrilling for him. He is celebrating. And I suspect that there are two groups of people that we tend almost never to forget. We tend not to forget those people who stand by us when we're going through something difficult. The lower the, lower the valley the more you appreciate those people who are with you when you go through it. And the other group that you tend not to forget are those people who curse you and throw rocks at you when you're in that valley. There's little worse than being kicked when you're down. There's little worse than having someone celebrate over any sort of calamity or suffering you are experiencing. And that's exactly what Shimei is doing here. Now, God's word is is overwhelmingly clear this is a repeated warning to not celebrate the calamity or suffering that other people experience. Just a few verses on this important topic. Proverbs 17:5. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Proverbs 24:17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and, net, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased. And listen to this. Turn away his anger from him. So God could actually relent disciplining someone or being angry with someone when he sees you stepping into God's place and being the individual who is trying to uh, avenge. Uh, 
Obadiah, he doesn't get a whole lot of attention, just one chapter in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, probably some of those might be the most neglected books in Scripture. Obadiah was the prophet to the Edomites, and he condemned the Edomites largely for one sin, and it was celebrating the misfortune of Israel. Edom was the brother nation to Israel, right? Israel came from Jacob, like Edom came from Esau, these nations that began in, in the womb together, you might say, with Jacob and Esau. And when Israel experienced misfortune, the Edomites rejoiced over that. And then listen to what Obadiah says to them. Obadiah one twelve. Do not gloat over the day of Israel's misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. And then that's why they were judged. God had severe punishment. How many, you know, how many Edomites do you know today? How, how many Edomites do you work with? Have you ever been in a restaurant and said, you know, what is your nationality? You have a strange accent. Said, well, you know, I'm an Edomite. You don't meet them anymore. And they were condemned largely because of the celebration they experienced over Israel's calamity. Look at verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this, and this is David's nephew, one of his mighty men, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Now, last week I told you that it's a bad idea to throw rocks at David's mighty men, especially bad idea to throw rocks at Abishai, because it seems like half the time that this man speaks in scripture, he's wanting to remove someone's head. He's the same man who told David to, uh, well, for any of Abishai's faults, he was also, also fiercely loyal to David, and he was incredibly courageous. He was the man that accompanied David into Saul's camp in the middle of the night, and when they reached Saul, what did Abishai say? Well, let me execute him. Just give me one, one stroke with my spear. I'm not going to miss. But here's the thing. According to the Mosaic law, Shimei's actions were punishable by death. Exodus twenty two twenty eight. you shall not revile God, nor shall you curse a ruler of your people. Additionally, like we talked about last week, because Shimei was related to the house of Saul or to the dynasty that David's house has replaced, Shimei and any of his relatives were a very legitimate threat to David's throne. And so it was expected in the ancient world that when a new dynasty was established, all of the relatives of the previous dynasty would be executed. And so it's almost surprising that Shimei has been able to live this long. But look how David responds in verse 10. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? So David addresses Abishai and his brother, Joab, implying Joab was probably expressing the same sentiments. Verse 11, David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse? Now notice this for the second time, for the Lord has told him to. So then David moved from addressing just Abishai and Joab to addressing all of his people. And his point is, if my own son, if this is such a day that my own son would want me dead, then how much more could we expect a relative from the house of Saul to be upset with me? Verse 12, he says, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for Shimei's cursing today. 
So David and his men went on the road with Shimei, and Shimei didn't stop. Notice this, while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him, and I'm wondering how, how many miles he might have followed them, cursing as he went, throwing stones, kicking up dust at him as well. So Shimei did not come out of his house, do this, and then turn and go back inside. He's following them along this hillside, yet there's no record of David responding. Proverbs 20, verse 22 came to mind. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, he'll deliver you. And this verse is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. And whenever we see a verse, that's especially one that's pulled up out of the Old Testament and then, pluck, and then plucked down in the New Testament for us repeatedly, as this verse is, we know that it's a significant one that God doesn't want us to overlook. First Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what's honorable, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. And then at the end he says this, beloved, don't avenge yourselves. This is why you're not to repay evil for evil. God says, do not avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We're not to try to occupy God's place and take vengeance against people. I read something just the other day that said sometimes you got to get out of God's way with people. You need to be the one that lets him deal with them. Don't obstruct that. So David responded very graciously and patiently to Shimei, and the question I was asking when individuals are set down as wonderful examples for us, as David does here, is what allowed this? What afforded David to be so gracious and patient at this difficult moment? And interestingly, we get that question answered by looking at the things David said. We don't have to wonder why he forgave Shimei or had this gracious disposition toward him that allowed him to forgive him later in chapter 19, as we'll see. We see the things that David said to himself, things that I would encourage us to be saying to ourselves as well. So notice twice, David, and you wouldn't believe it if it wasn't written here, attributed Shimei's cursing to whom? Okay, David attributed Shimei's cursing to whom? To God. Verse 10, the king said, what have I to do with you, sons? If God, if he's cursing, because the Lord said to him, curse David, and then the end of verse 11, leave him alone. So this is one reason David said to leave him alone. Let him curse the Lord has told him to. And this brings us to lesson one. We can forgive others easier by thinking about part one, God's sovereignty. We can forgive others easier by thinking about part one, God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over people's cursing and slander, even the shimmies that we might experience in our lives. Listen to this verse David wrote in the Psalms that also tells us why he didn't respond to shimmies. Psalm 39, verse 8. He said, do not make me the scorn of the fool. Is Shimei a fool? He isn't called a fool. There's only one individual in Scripture that I'm aware of who's, who is identified as a fool, and that's the individual whose name means fool, Nabal, which we'll interestingly talk about in a moment. But I would say that Shimei is a fool as well. And David says, and maybe he was thinking of Shimei when he wrote this, do not make me the scorn of the fool. And then he says, I am mute. I am remaining silent. I do not open my mouth. And now he t- says why for it is you who have done it. Now, that's interesting. David would recognize God's sovereignty even over the behavior of a foolish person. 
David said God was behind the fool's scorning, and it was that recognition that allowed David to remain silent and not respond. Now, let me ask you this. Was this, and sometimes I tell them, like, this is not a trick question. Okay, this is a trick question coming, okay? <laughs> was God behind David's? Was God behind Shimei's cursing? It's tough, isn't it? Because Shimei is a free moral agent, and he's doing something wicked. And so you don't want to put God's sovereignty behind or over someone's actions like this. You don't want to see someone do something ugly and then assign it to God. Yet we see David attributing that cursing to God, and so why is that? Here's the answer. David recognized that there was nothing that was going to happen in his life that was outside of what? God's control or God's sovereignty, or you could even say God's will for David. So David knew that before anything ever reached him, it first had to pass through the throne of God before coming down to him. David saw God's hand in everything, and we want to see God's hand in the good. We want to see God's fingerprints on the blessings. We don't want to see God's sovereign over the bad or the trials, which is probably one of the most unsettling things in my mind, because if God isn't sovereign over your trials and difficulties, then that doesn't make him much of a God for one. And second, one of the only great encouragements when we're going through trials and suffering is God's sovereignty. Isn't it our confidence in God's sovereignty that gives us the greatest encouragement when we're going through something difficult? We don't understand it, but we can still believe that God is sovereign and that nothing is happening outside of, he's not panicking on the throne about what's going on. He doesn't say, okay, all three persons within the triune nature got to come together. We got to figure this out. We had no idea this was going to happen to Scott. So when this happened, David acknowledged that God allowed it. And because he acknowledged God allowed it, it allowed David to accept it. It was his confidence in God's sovereignty that encouraged him to respond this way, even to someone like Shimei. And David is not the only individual in Scripture we see like this. The spiritually great men and women of God receive good and bad equally from God. Let me say that one more time. The spiritually mature, the spiritually great men and women of God receive the good and bad from God equally. Who else comes to mind? Job 2.9, his wife says to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Listen to Job's response. This is why Satan let Job's wife live, right? If you ever wondered that before, why did God execute everyone else or allow, why did God allow everyone else to be executed and let Job's wife live? And this is why, because she was his servant. And Job says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil or bad or trials or difficulty? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So it was also Job's confidence in God's sovereignty that allowed him to accept the suffering he was experiencing. And so when we reflect on God's sovereignty, even if he isn't the one doing something, we still must see him in control of whatever is happening, even if it is painful, even if we hate it. The good and the bad, the blessings and cursings, the joys and the trials, the good treatment from some and the mistreatment, slander, cursing from rocks being thrown, dust kicked up at us, 
from others because he wants to use all of it in our lives for our good and for his glory. And if you think about it, my suspicion is that probably some of the greatest growth that you've experienced in your life has come from people's mistreatment. It has been difficult relationships that you have found yourself in that has allowed you to become more like Christ and grow in what areas? Patience, forgiveness, gentleness, kindness. Look at verse 12 to see another reason David responded this way to Shimei. He says, It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong that is done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for Shimei's cursing. So David thought that God was going to repay him with good because of the cursing he experienced. That's what he said. The idea is without the cursing, there would not be the reward that David was anticipating. Now, it's not a guarantee. That's why I say anticipating. David did not say God is certainly, like, look at the language. It may be that the Lord will. God might versus the Lord will. But just the thought of the possibility that God would repay David for the mistreatment he was experiencing was enough encouragement for him to respond this way to Shimei. And this brings us to the next lesson. We can forgive others easier by thinking about part two, God's goodness to us in return. By thinking about God's goodness to us in return. The thought of God's goodness toward David encouraged him to overlook Shimei's terrible behavior toward him. Listen to what else David wrote in the Psalms. Psalm 10, verse 14. He says, you do see, you note mischief or harm and vexation or anger that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. And so if you've ever felt like you're experiencing harm or anger from others or vexation or mischief, be encouraged that God sees it. Be encouraged, as David said, that God can take it into his hands. Or maybe you feel helpless, like David said. He says, you've been the father. He says, to the helpless, they commit themselves to you. You've been the helper of the fatherless. And so maybe you felt helpless, like David described. You know, David's mention of the fatherless, he said, well, you know, I'm not fatherless. So maybe this doesn't apply to me. David mentioned the fatherless because he's arguing from the greatest picture of vulnerability or helplessness to the weakest, because in the ancient world, even individuals whose mothers died still had fathers at least. But to be fatherless is to have no protection, no provider, to have nothing. And we don't relate to it, because in our day, people could lose their father at a young age, and there could still be ways in which they're cared for by society or perhaps the church. But in the ancient world, to be fatherless was the premier picture of helplessness. And so David says that even God helps the help helps the fatherless. David knew two things about this situation. He knew that he was doing what was right. He had not done anything wrong to bring this on himself, and he knew that the behavior that was being done to him was wrong. And Scripture repeatedly tells us that if we're serving the Lord, we're doing what's right, and what's being done to us is wrong, then like David, we can also expect to be repaid when experiencing mistreatment. 
Luke 6.22, just a few verses on this topic. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, I'm not going to put the mistreatment that we experience on par with the mistreatment or let's say persecution or going further, martyrdom that the prophets experienced, but the point is still the same, that God wants to reward those who are mistreated while faithfully serving him. The author of Hebrews encouraged his readers with this reality. Hebrews 10.34, you are joyfully able to accept the plundering of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the author of Hebrews, speaking to individuals who are experiencing great persecution, says you're being mistreated, your property is being taken from you in, a, in an impoverished world. First century Christians, some of the poorest people who've ever lived, even the little they have being taken from them while they're serving the Lord. But the author of Hebrews says you can look forward to your reward in heaven or toward God repaying you for the mistreatment you're experiencing. None of us want to be mistreated, but if we're mistreated while faithfully serving Christ, hopefully we can think about David's example take heart that God can look down and reward us as a result. There's one more thing that I think allowed David to forgive Shimei. Before I share that with you, I want to look at a few necessary verses that give us the context. So you can mark this spot and turn to the left to 1 Samuel 25. We will come back to 2 Samuel 16, but go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 25. Here's the context. We've talked recently, David was fleeing from Saul, living in caves. That's where his original band came around him. He became the leader of those men, but they had to provide for themselves. They had to find work. And so one of the things that they'd done at least once was guard the flocks of a man named Nabal. They did this for an entire season just to kind of speed this along. I'm not, I'm not going to read all of the verses, but even Nabal's servants praised the job that David and his men had done, saying that they served as a wall or almost a fortress or shield around any enemies. And this was a time when Philistine raids were common. So it was a huge deal for David and his military-minded men. It was almost an army that Nabal was given to surround all of his, all of his flocks. And so because David had done this so faithfully, because he had done it for so long, the, the entire, uh, some number of months, it's reasonable that David is going to expect some compensation for this. David went into this knowing that he would be compensated for what he and his men had done. He was not being greedy to then request some compensation. Look at verse 8. Ask your young men and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day, David says, please give whatever you have at your hand to your servants and to your son David. So David did not ask for a certain amount. He said, whatever you happen to have available or whatever you think is right is going to be fine. Look at verse 10 to see how Nabal responds. Nabal answers David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? That's David's father. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. So let me be clear about this. It would have been insulting enough if Nabal didn't pay David anything. 
But Nabal wanted to go beyond that and be as insulting to David as possible. He doesn't just talk bad about David. He talks bad about his father, saying that his father's a nobody. He never talked bad about people's father, right? And he says, but even Jesse, David's father's a nobody. It was the only reason we know Jesse is because of David. So there's a sense in which that's somewhat true. Nabal was just trying to be cruel. But to say, who is David? was absurd. That was a ridiculous criticism because after David defeated Goliath, he had become a national hero. Everyone knew David. And Nabal knew David well enough to know that he had broken away from Saul. And that's what he means when he says, you know, many servants are breaking away from their masters. Well, David broke away from Saul so he wouldn't get murdered. Nabal just makes it sound like David breaks away because he's rebellious and doesn't want to serve Saul any longer, which was not true. Of course, Nabal had no problem with David while David was doing what? Guarding his flocks? He doesn't really believe the things that he's saying. He, Nabal doesn't. He does not want to compensate David, but to justify his, his cheapness, he must act as though David is this terrible person who shouldn't be paid He's making excuses. Notice the number of mys in the next verse, verse 11. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men from whom I don't know where? So you can't miss Nabal's selfishness. This did not go well with David. Look at verse 12. David's young men turned away. So David did not hear this from Nabal. David had sent messengers to Nabal. Nabal shared this with David's messengers. David's messengers return and tell David what Nabal has said. Verse 13, David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. Now, Let's just be honest. What was Nabal thinking? Because in the Old Testament, there are just certain people you don't mess with, right? Who comes to mind? You're not going to mess with Samson unless maybe his head was shaved. You're not going to mess with Moses because if you mess with Moses, what might happen? The ground's going to open up and swallow you. His own sister messed with him and got leprosy. You're not going to mess with Elijah. What was Elijah able to do? He called down fire from heaven on platoons of soldiers that came to arrest him. When someone can call down fire from heaven, you don't mess with them. And he was even able to summon bears that came and mauled young men that had made fun of him for being bald. So when someone can summon bears to come and maul you, you don't mess with them either. And it's probably a good... Good lesson not to make fun of people when they're bald. And you don't mess with David. David kills lions and bears. If you remember, Saul asked David to kill 100 Philistines to marry his daughter. What did David do? He's like, I'll just just go kill 200 Philistines. He kills Goliath. So Nabal wants to insult David, and David felt insulted. He took 400 men with him. David faced Goliath by himself. And he's got 400 men to go up against Nabal. That's how angry David was at this moment. Now, a lot of the guys in here, if you're honest, 
you're kind of looking at this thinking how cool it would be to be able to be like David and look around and tell a bunch of other hardcore guys something like strap on your sword, right? Or maybe an equivalent today would be lock and load. Or like if this is a Western, what would we say? Mount up, right? So you read this account and it seems cool. And if you didn't know better, if you hadn't read further, what would you expect David to do? Well, he's going to go to Nabal, and he's going to demand payment. He is probably going to scare Nabal a little bit for insulting him. And if David wants to be petty, then David's probably going to return some insults, insult Nabal in return. That's what we could wish that David had planned. Look at verse 22 to see what he intended instead. David's speaking in the third person. God do so to the enemies of David or to me, and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. This is shocking. See, here's the problem for for you or me. When we read the Bible, we don't always get God's commentary on actions, and so you could overlook something. You could miss just how horrible this would have been for David if he had been able to go through with it. This is a low point. This is a terrible response from David to respond like this. Just because there's no commentary saying that, we've just got to think a little bit, get a little elevation on the text, and picture what was going to happen here, that David is going to kill Nabal, and there's no other word for it, murder all of the males that belong to him. Now, aren't you glad David never did that? Don't you want to love David like I want to love David? and you're thankful that he did not go through with this? You probably know the rest of the story. Nabal's wife, Abigail, reaches David when David's on the way. She intercedes. David relents, and in a moment of clarity, realizes what he had planned, how terrible it would have been if he had done this. And so he thanks Nabal's wife, Abigail, for stopping him. Now, why do I want you to look at this? Okay, give me your attention. I want to look at this because it's very tempting to see David in 2 Samuel 16 and say what? Well, you know, David responded this way to Shimei because he's such a patient man. He's so gentle. He's so calm and kind. And so it was incredibly easy for David to respond this way to Shimei. But I'm not the man after God's own heart. I don't find it as easy to respond to people like David did with Shimei. That is not the case at all. The fact is this. David is a different man in 2 Samuel 16 with Shimei than he was in 1 Samuel 25 when he was insulted by Nabal. David is a different man when he's getting pelted by curses and rocks and dust being kicked up at him from Shimei than he is in 1 Samuel 25 when Nabal insults him. And if you ask me between the two of counts, I think it would have been harder for David to restrain himself from hurting Shimei than murdering Nabal because Shimei is right there. Shimei doesn't stop. He's in David's face. It's personal. They're exhausted. It's this low point in his life. He's following them. David's even got some of his men telling him, execute this man, shut him up, make him stop, take his head off his shoulders. He should die for what he's doing. He's got men telling him that and he still restrained himself. David was a changed man. And so the question is, what happened between 2 Samuel 16 
and 1 Samuel 25. And I'll tell you, I think there's two things in particular that happened. One, David committed murder. And two, David committed adultery. I think he is humbled by his sins. I think David recognizes how patient God had been with him despite the horrible things that he had done. I think David recognized that he deserved death, should have been executed, should have lost the throne for the sins that he committed. And it was that recognition that encouraged him to be patient with a Shimei. And our recognition of our sinfulness should cause us to be patient and gracious with others. And this brings us to the next part of the lesson. We can forgive others easier by thinking about part three, our sins. We can forgive others easier by thinking about part three, our sins. Jesus said something interesting in Luke 7, 47. He who is forgiven little loves little. Have you ever thought about that before? He who is forgiven little loves little. Now, is anyone actually forgiven little or forgiven for little? Is Jesus saying that people who are super righteous and godly love little because they're only forgiven for a little bit? No, it's actually the opposite. He's saying that we've all been forgiven for so much, but those people who think that they've only been forgiven for little because they're so self-righteous are going to love little as a result. And it comes down to pride. If we think that we're great, what are we not going to have as much of for others? If we think we're great, if we are self-righteous, what are we not going to have much of for others? Patience, kindness, graciousness, but if we see ourselves as wretched sinners, we are going to be gracious to other wretched sinners because we see them like we see ourselves. If you remember from last week, what was Shimei's main accusation? What was his main accusation? David is a murderer. He is a bloodthirsty man. You know, 2 Samuel 16, 7, Shimei said, you're a man of blood. Verse 8, the Lord's avenged on you, the blood of the house of Saul. The, your evil is on you. You're a man of blood. So Shimei accuses David of being this bloodthirsty man. And as we talked about last week, Saul, Jonathan, Abner, and uh, who are the four? Saul, Jonathan, Abner. Who's the fourth guy that was murdered or executed? Saul, Jonathan, Abner. What? What? I have, oh, you're, no. Who's, who's the fourth guy from the house of Saul? Not Mephibosheth, he was kind to him. Ishra, thanks to Andrew, yeah. Yeah, so four men from the house of Saul who were executed, and that's why I'm glad Andrew's my elder, that he can answer this question for me. Saul, Abner, Ishbosheth, and Jonathan are all executed from the house of Saul, and that's what Shimei's talking about. He's accusing David of being behind their deaths. I told you he wasn't, but I want to ask you something. Shimei says, You're a man of blood. Was David a man of blood? Was David a man of blood? Shimei accused David of shedding man's blood. Had David shed man's blood? Yes, he had. He had shed Uriah's blood. Why couldn't David build the temple? 
Who knows why David couldn't build it? It's not in 2 Samuel, but when you reach 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 3, God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war who has shed blood. Okay, so what if Shimei doesn't want to talk about David being a man of blood? Were there other accusations that Shimei could have brought against David? What could he have said? Could have said, you're a liar, David. You are a betrayer of one of your closest, most loyal friends in Uriah. You are an adulterer, a serial adulterer. So here's my point. It is tempting to get upset when people slander us. And if you remember my definition of slander at the beginning of the sermon, slander is lies. And so it's very tempting to get upset when people lie about us or slander us. But here's the thing. If these people knew us better, they wouldn't have to lie. (laughs) They wouldn't have to make up anything. Rare is the person who does not have some number of things that what? They're ashamed of. They regret. They don't want the world to know about. And that truth should cause all of us to be gentler, more patient, kinder toward others. The fact is, when we get upset with others, we have forgotten how kind God has been to us. When we slander people, when we talk bad about people, when we gossip, It is a reflection of our pride that has allowed us to look down on others. It is a revelation that we have forgotten how sinful we have been. It is an indication that we have lost appreciation for all that Christ has forgiven us for. The next time that we're about to get upset with someone who's mistreating us, we should think about our sins. We will probably find ourselves being considerably more patient with those people. The most forgiving people are those people who believe they've been forgiven the most. The people who are the most gracious with others are those who recognize how gracious Christ has been toward them. Now we're going to continue the story with Shimei by jumping ahead to 2 Samuel 19, if you want to turn there. 2 Samuel 19. To give you the context, because quite a bit has happened in these three chapters. Absalom has been killed, and David is engaging in the opposite situation. In 2 Samuel 16, he's leaving Jerusalem because he's lost the throne, and in 2 Samuel 19, he's returning to Jerusalem because he has regained the throne. Guess who heard the news that David has regained the throne? Huh? Shimei. As we read these verses, notice the repetition of the word king to remind us that David is king again. Look in 2 Samuel 19, verse 18. They crossed the ford to bring over the king's household. This is David's household and to do his pleasure, David's pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king, I bet he did, as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, 
Let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. So this is Shimei. He's like, um, please don't remember when I cursed you and threw rocks at you and kicked dust at you and called you a scoundrel and a worthless murderer and accused you of stealing the throne from Saul at the lowest point in your life. Yeah, just forget about all that, please. That's what Shimei does here. Verse 20, and then he says, your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day to be the very first. Earlier, I said that he hurried to be the very first of the whole house. He's like, look how great I am. Look how hard I worked to get here to be the first to meet you. So he repented. We've talked about you forgive people when they repent. So let's see how David responds in verse 23. The king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And then notice this, the king gave him his oath. I want you to remember that. David swore to Shimei that he would not die. Now turn a few chapters to the right to 1 Kings 2. 1 Kings 2, the first book after 2 Samuel. Here's the context. We've reached the very end of David's life. He's 70 years old now. He's reigned for 40 years. He's passing the throne on to his son Solomon. Do your Bibles have a title or a heading anywhere around verse 10? What is the heading in your Bible around verse 10? The death of David or David's death. Look at verse 8 to see the last recorded words of David to his son Solomon before he dies. Verse 8. Wait, or sorry, let me give give me your attention real quick. (laughs) Let me just explain what's happening here. David, imagine what this moment's like for David to be passing the throne to his son Solomon and, and probably all of the counsel he wants to give him, all of the ways he wants to succeed, all of the things that David could say to Shimei or to uh, Solomon at this moment. And look what he says in verse 8. See, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Behoram, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now look at this. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So shockingly, David went back on his forgiveness. He went back on the oath that he made to Shimei. And this brings us to lesson two. Christ's forgiveness is greater than David's. You should say amen to that. Christ's forgiveness is greater than David's. I look at this account and I just think, I am so thankful that Christ forgives better than David did. Shimei makes a great picture or type of you. David makes a great picture or type of Christ. But I've told you before that every picture or type breaks down because if a type or shadow didn't break down, it wouldn't be the type or shadow. It would, be the, it would have the substance or reality. Shimei sinned against his king, and he deserved to die. He repented And his king forgave him and told him that he would live. 
That's you. That is a picture of you. That is a picture of me. We have sinned against our King Jesus. We deserve to die. If we repent, we can be forgiven, and he tells us we will live. John 6, verse 40, Jesus said, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last day. John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. David is a great type of Christ being a king who forgives a sinful servant, but the forgiveness that David gave Shimei was faulty and appeals in comparison to the forgiveness that's found in Christ. Now, I understand why David said this. I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for David, but I understand. He wants his son to receive the throne well, and he knows that there are enemies that pose a threat to that, Shimei being one of the greatest. Shimei is just in a line of enemies that had to be exterminated for Solomon's throne to be established. If you read 1 Kings, the first two chapters, you're going to see Joab. We've talked about Joab recently. There's a handful of individuals who had to be removed for Solomon's throne to be established. So I can understand why David said this, but it doesn't matter because all that matters is David broke his vow. But here's the thing. Here's why I'm telling you this. We don't have to worry about that with Christ. He is not going to withdraw his forgiveness. Christ is not going to go back on his word. Hebrews 6, 17, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, when God desired to show us more convincingly the unchangeable character of his purpose, his purpose of salvation for us, he guaranteed it with an oath. Hebrews 6, 17 says that God swore your salvation with an oath. The Lord is never going to say, you know, Scott, you did all these bad things, and I was thinking about it, and I know I told you this, but you shouldn't be forgiven for what you've done. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to remove my forgiveness from you. We never have to worry about anything like that with the Lord. I'll leave you with this quote from Spurgeon. Perhaps you've been like Shimei. You have cursed your king. You're afraid that Jesus will never forgive you. But David forgave Shimei, and Jesus is ready to forgive you. He delights in mercy. The harps of heaven never give Christ the happiness that he experiences when he forgives the ungodly, saying, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. If you have any questions about anything I shared in the sermon, or I can pray for you in any way, I'll be up front after service and would consider it a privilege to speak with you. Father, I thank you for the example with David, his great example of forgiveness, but we recognize that he is a fallible man. His forgiveness toward Shimei clearly fell short, but we thank you that your forgiveness toward us does not. It doesn't rest on our worthiness or our merit. It rests on what Christ has done on the cross. Lord, I thank you so much. And I pray that if there's anyone here who's had a different understanding of eternity or of salvation and of forgiveness, that you would convict them, Lord, that you would help them to see that there is nothing that they can do in their own effort except sin that brings further judgment on themselves. All we can do is look to Christ and what he's done for us. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for giving him for our sins and that our salvation doesn't hang on any work on our part, but on what your son has already accomplished for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.